either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We've got a decent mix of streaming and theater releases this week. Some that do both. And some good stuff to talk about. So welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we will start with a family man drafted to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront the past. It's the Tomorrow War. We are fighting a war 30 years in the future. Our enemy is not human. I hate it when the future calls. I'm always in the middle of something. <laughs> and they've got an assignment for me. i got to fight aliens. <laughs> that's what's happening here with Chris Pratt. And somebody asked me this morning, the morning show I call... Was this doughy Chris Pratt, or is this buff Chris Pratt? This is buff Chris Pratt. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, this is shirtless buff, be buff Chris Pratt. got to be buff to fight these aliens. That's right. And, and it makes perfect sense because he's a high school science teacher, and they all look like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an interesting movie. It is a mishmash of every sci-fi movie you've ever seen. They do a pretty good job of it. They let you know right off the bat. The very opening segment is clearly right from uh, the Tom Cruise movie, The Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And then the catalyst is directly out of uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight Rises. And then they really dig in to all of the movies that this reminds you of. And mainly what it reminds you of is like, sort of all the popcorn munchy mindless action, almost family films of the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Those two and a half hour movies that... Independence Day. Independence Day. Like everything from Roland Emmerich, everything from Michael Bay, all of those movies from that sort of late 90s to the early 2000s. And that's why it was a little surprising to me that this is only on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it does because, seem like a theatrical release. Yeah, here we are, July 4th weekend, holiday weekend, and yeah, it's and, and the way this movie pans out, especially with some of the visuals, it seemed to me like something that a lot of people would like to see on the big screen. I understand families would want to stay home and check it out, but uh, yeah, maybe they, they might have missed a chance here for some big screen fun. But it is on Amazon Prime, and once they get into it, I, I do take your point because I like when a movie just accepts it. Yes. Look, we're, we're not trying to hide anything here. We are rehashing some of these ideas, but we're going to try to do it in our own way. And um, at least they come up with some of the mainly the outside visuals and the aliens, which they're not stingy with, and that's good. Yeah, that is that is a good thing, that um, that a film like this isn't one of those that's going to tease you and tease you and not give it to you to the end. You right. see these aliens early and often, and they're nasty. <laughs> they're nasty this great way. they got a lot of teeth. they got these tentacles that, like, shoot spears out. Oh, they're very, they're very cool. I like the aliens a lot. Uh, and a lot of the cast is, is, is fun. Sam Richardson, who we just saw in Werewolves Within, he plays... Yeah. He plays a guy who's really ill-equipped. That's one of the things, is when when the future comes back, Chris Pratt's character is uh, ex-military, so good for him. The other people that are getting uh, forced, drafted, they're not. Mm. They don't know what the hell they're doing, and there's only a 20% survival rate. Only 20% of these people are coming back. You only have to live for a week. You only have to survive it for a week, but no, most people aren't coming back. So, yeah, so it's, it, what's happening is it's 50 years in the future, I believe? I think it's 30. 30, okay, and... There's a there's a war with aliens, so they come back and, and try to recruit people. They have to go back. They have to go into the future. 
to fight aliens before the because there are so few human beings left on Earth. Mm-hmm. So before they completely annihilate the entire human race. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Chris Pratt is a scientist, and that's one of the things I like about this movie. Man, this movie loves science. You know, it's okay. like we're, this is how we can fix it is with science. Yeah. The science itself is pretty sketchy, but that's okay. I mean, it's a you know, it's a love letter also to. But at least they're trusting it. Yeah, uh, um, the the family sort of melodrama of it feels very syrupy and forced. It's not written particularly well. Like you said, I think the external action sequences, the outdoor action sequences, they are fun. They are cool. They're mm-hmm. well established. The movie is fully an hour too long. It yeah. is two hours and twenty minutes for well, no know, reason or hello nineties exactly, blockbusters, right? Exactly. J.K. Simmons shows up nice. He's always great. Always. He's always great. Sam Richardson calls him conspiracy theory Santa, <laughs> which was a yeah. great line. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a middling. It's a middling effort at well, best, but it's kind of fun. The director is Chris McKay, who came up through the Lego movies. Yeah. So it's just making a, a switch into live action here. And uh, yeah, it, it's one of those where you just thought somebody might be around to go, let's trim some stuff here, right. fellas. But uh, maybe they thought if it was if it was always going to be Amazon Prime only, it wasn't that big I, of a deal. You know what? I think probably it was not always going to be Amazon Prime. And my guess is that Chris McKay is just a really big fan of Roland Emmerich's. Yeah, well, sometimes when you try to repackage these ideas, at least, like we said, at least you're upfront about it. But still, it just seems a little... There's nothing new here, no. so why am I spending two and a half hours with nothing new? Right. Uh, but but it's not without its charms, though. I mean, no, there, there's some fun to be had. Yeah, there is. And uh, especially if you're just hanging at home and you've got the Amazon Prime to fire it up. It is the Tomorrow War, and that is available, yeah, on Prime now. Next, let's check back in with the Purge franchise and see how everybody's getting along. All the rules are broken as a sect of lawless marauders decides that the annual purge does not stop at daybreak and instead should never end. This is the forever purge. Nobody hear the sirens? There's no crime anymore. Anything goes. You rich can't hide behind your steel walls no more. Powerless. How's that feel? This is the real purge. The forever purge! Hurry up! They're coming! There's nowhere safe to go. No way to get help. Oh my god. We gotta find another way to get out of here. Mexico was opening its borders for the next six hours. Let's go. We're in this together. English! Speak! Does this translate? Yeah, so we're up to the fifth installment of the Purge franchise. And, you know, looking back over all four of the previous movies, none of them have been outright stinkers. They've all been pretty solid. It's been a solid, very politically based franchise. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and I feel like if you like, if you have liked any of the films in the series, you're likely to like this one as well. Writer James DeMarco, who also directed the first three in the series, he wields his political allegory like a blunt instrument, yeah, yeah. and and that's fine. I think if that if that's if you don't mind that about the franchise, horror almost always is political. Right, that's the thing people forget. For people to get upset about all oh, political, look back if you've missed the political allegories, and not just horror movies, but we've pointed out all the time, Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's art, right? Yeah. And art is so often political. Now, I get it. A, a certain political persuasion is not going to be happy about 
this movie and probably all the other uh, Purge movies, but being political is is nothing new, and it's not exactly subtle, you're right, but this movie takes it in a perfectly logical direction after four movies. It had to come to this. Well, not only that, so the the last installment, which I thought was really very, very good, I the, did too. the first purge, and it asked, how did we come to this, right? Well, this one gets like the logical conclusion. This is what happens when you don't rein it in. And it's clearly, clearly, really, I think, eerily, uh, a representation of what could have happened after January 6th, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, the purge itself, which was set up by a very right-wing government, uh, a day where everybody can just, there's lawlessness, so you can purge yourself of the evil, and at the same time, you know, take... Weed out the disposable ingla- population. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the people who enjoy doing that decided that they're in charge, and they're going to take over the country, yeah. and it's they're mainly white supremacists, and they do take over the country. And, and it they is, organize online. They organize online, yeah. and and th- they plan to purge from their nation everybody that they don't want. So again, it is a very blatant political um, allegory, but it's not like it's poorly done. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's heavy-handed about it, but it, it's it's somewhat effective. For me, the, the movie, this particular installment leans much more heavily toward an action film than yeah. it does a horror film. So to me, it loses a little bit there. Um, And it's set in San Antonio, Texas, and Josh Lucas Mm -hmm. is a rancher. That's really where it all starts. He's got a couple of people who are uh, on his his ranch who are, this is their first year in the United States from Mexico, and so this is their first purge. And then the other cowhands are part of the larger forever purgers, and so that's really where everything takes place, and mainly it's helping the rich white guy learn that maybe white supremacy is bad. So again, it's <laughs> not subtle, yeah. but I think that it sets things up pretty effectively in the same way that it has in the past. Yeah, and this is, the director here is Everardo Gout, so you're right, leaning a little more toward action than horror, so mm-hmm. if, if you've been in through all four films, you're probably going to feel that, but if you've been in for all four films, I think you're not going to be disappointed with this no. outright. Uh, it is. It's just kind of the logical progression of the whole premise would take, yeah. I think. And yeah, does it does it fairly well. And it is out now in theaters, The Forever Purge. All right, how about one for the families? It's the Templeton Brothers. They have grown up to become adults and drifted away from each other. But a new boss baby with a cutting-edge approach is about to bring them together again and inspire a new family business. It's the boss baby... Family business. She can talk. All right. I'm in the family business. And now you work for me, boomers. So, what's the crisis? An evil genius is teaching kids to be very bad, bad babies. Welcome to the baby revolution. We're going to need a disguise to go undercover. What have you done to me? No, really? Are we going sailing? Oh, no. Thanks for always having my back. You're my brother. We always stick together because that's what families do. We need to hurry before the formula wears off. What the? The first film in this series, The Boss Baby, really was hampered by the fact that it was an adaptation of a children's book. And I mean, like a 16-page, so like a like a 30-sentence children's book. Right. I mean, they had to pad, and, and it felt it. But right. this one feels more like it's a it's a self-contained story that makes sense. It does. It feels more like its own, own adventure. And the director, Tom McGrath, and the writer, Michael McCullers, they are both back. 
But yeah, it does feel a little more confident in, in doing its own thing now that they've established what's going on here. And the boss baby, Alec Baldwin, Ted, he's all grown up, and he's a hedge fund honcho, and yeah, he's fallen out. He, he just works all the time, never sees his family, and especially he's estranged from his brother, Tim, which is voiced this time by James Marsden. And Tim has a family. He's a stay-at-home dad, actually. And he has a uh, second-grade daughter who is whip-smart and starting to pull away, starting to be want to grow up too fast. And he has a new baby, voiced by Amy Sedaris. Woo! One of our very favorites. And wouldn't you know it, the new baby is an agent from Baby Corp. (laughs) And uh, once she makes her identity known, she makes it clear to both Ted and Tim that they have to work together, drink this special formula that turns them into babies. Well, Ted turns into a baby and Tim turns into a, a second grader, basically. And they have to work to help defeat the headmaster at the second grade daughter's school, who is voiced by... Jeff Goldblum. Another favorite. Because he is involved in a nefarious plan to sort of push parents out of the picture and unleash a baby revolution where there's cake every day. So, (laughs) I know. I like uh, cake. That's how we get back to being babies, especially Alec Baldwin. Gets back to his baby form, but still wraps that buttery voice around the, the, the uh, his lines, and he, that's one of his lines. Actually, I have a beautiful voice, and it, <laughs> it is funny. It's not it's not laugh out loud funny. It gives the parents, especially, a lot of subtle asides, both visual and in some of the lines that the that the kids aren't going to get, but the parents are going to appreciate. For the kids, though, there's a lot of frenetic action. There's a lot of running around. Always something to attract your eye. Uh, on screen. So I think that will help keep the the kids pacified a little bit. It does get convoluted and it is not uproariously funny, but in the end it's a it's a decent story and decently fun and, and has some warm fuzzies for the family as well. The corporate world takes some barbs and uh, and of course a message of, you know, taking time for your family and work life balance and all that stuff. And yeah, the new voices, Amy Sedaris, Jeff Goldblum, great. Oh yeah. Great. And so all around it's 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 a decent effort, I think a little bit of an improvement from uh, the original film, and that is The Boss Baby Family Business, and it is on, not only in theaters, but it's also on the new NBC Universal app, Peacock. Yep. So you can find it on that app as well. All right, let's go back to one definitely not for families. A stripper named Zola embarks on a wild road trip to Florida. It's Zola. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? From here on out, watch every move this bitch make. Do not trip. I got you girls. A real nice spot. This is messy. You are messy. Your brain is broke. I came to dance. No, 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 no. We're done with that. Why you on my Facebook? Why you on my Tumblr? Why are you DMing me? Sis, why are you tagging me sis. in photos? You don't even fuck with me. Sis. Let me know. Sis. Let me know. Yes, me- sis. Now we're getting to the good ones. Now we've got a couple of really good movies that we are recommending to yeah. you. Yeah, oh yeah. And this one is out in theaters. And this one had a lot of buzz already from the people that have read this. Not only the, the original Tweet Storm by Zola. Her actual, her real name is Azia King. goes by Zola. The original... I think 148 tweet Twitter thread was in 2015. And then uh, Rolling Stone had an article about it. 
And it's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where this goes, and it's clear that not all of it that makes it into the movie is true, maybe not all of it, but that just sort of fits because this movie so well represents the digital age that it's like, well, what is true anymore? <laughs> you know, And if that's the kind of truth that we're living, this movie speaks it. And it's such a great vision on screen. The co-writer and director is Janique Sabravo, and the aesthetic that she succeeds with here is great because so many movies in the last several years have tried to take that social media experience and put it on screen. And it winds up so many times feeling like it's pandering or feeling like they're trying to be hip so desperately. Right. And this movie does not. It, it just You just feel it. You're immersed in it. That, that you never lose the fact that this came from social media, but yet she is telling you this story from her own perspective, and it goes down these crazy avenues, and and it, it is. It is not for families at all, because <laughs> the whole thing was set up by Zola meeting Stephanie, played by, well, first of all, Zola is played by Taylor Page. Great. And if you've seen her in any one of her several supporting roles in the last several years, most specifically Ma, Rainey. Ma Rainey's <laughs> Black Bottom and Boogie, you, you knew her breakout was coming. She's great. Mm -hmm. And this is it, because she's fantastic. And uh, this, the friend that uh, leads her down this road to uh, Tampa, Florida, and all this uh, nastiness is Stephanie, played by Riley Keough. Who's always great. She's oh, amazing all yeah. the time. And she's great here, too, but the character is so much more outlandish. Just, just is she a just outright horrible person? <laughs> is, she, is she also a victim and just dumb? Uh, and, and, our, and is the, the sides of her that we're seeing really out of... Zola's memory, or is it real? You just the whole thing just keeps your head spinning as this story plays out, and it's it's so gripping and enthralling and crazy and funny and horrific all at the same time, and it's just incredibly entertaining as long as you know what you're in for because they go down to strip in Tampa strip clubs, and then of course they're expected to do a lot more things that Zola wasn't ready for. So there's a lot of sex in it. Obviously, as long as you know that going in, it's an incredibly entertaining movie and it's just a wild ass story, especially for someone like me who didn't know. I did not read the Twitter thread, uh, was not familiar. I kind of had an idea where it might be going, but I knew next to nothing about how this story played out. And it's nuts. But yeah, like you just said, this is one that we really recommend this week. It's out in theaters called Zola. Next up is a documentary about the legendary 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which celebrated African-American music and culture and promoted black pride and unity. This is Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. What time is it? You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. So if you're only going to watch one this week, this is the one. How much have I been looking forward to this? Uh, you don't even know. Uh, you, you have what. been looking forward to this movie for such a long time. <laughs> we had, we thought we were going to get to see it back when we did the virtual Sundance mm -hmm. experience, but somehow we got locked out. Anyway, we didn't get to see it. Mm -mm. So I've just been chomping at the bit, and this is just fantastic, especially if you love this type, 
in this era of music as much as I do, but it's, a, it's an incredible story. Number one, when you learn that this series of concerts happened uh, in the summer of 1969 and just about the same time and about 100 miles away from Woodstock. Right. But in the succeeding years, this event got totally forgotten. And even when the guy who filmed them all tried at the time to market and sell all his footage as the quote-unquote black Woodstock, nobody cared. It's crazy. And so these boxes of, of film sat in a basement for 50 years. Amazing. And, and, and then the director here is Amir Questlove Thompson, and even someone who has such a, a musical aficionado such as he didn't even know this series of concerts existed. Right. That's how much it had been forgotten. And I read a bit about how he came to uh, put this all together, and he said once he started watching the footage, he almost wept yeah. that this incredible piece of culture and, and black history had just been nearly wiped away. And and uh, he, he does a great job. This is his first directing job, and he does a fantastic job not only putting together the musical footage, and I'm telling you, some of these performances, they cut across all different spectrums of music. You've got gospel, you've got uh, just straight-up pop R&B, you've got psychedelic funk like uh, Sly Stone, you've got blues with B.B. King, you've got all sorts of uh, salsa music and Puerto Rican, and, uh, and, and all of it coming together in such a glorious way on this stage that attracted the series of concerts. There were six consecutive weekends, and all in all, all told, they attracted about 300,000 people to these free shows. Just incredible music. And uh, fueling the black revolution at the time, because it was a time when, according to, in the words of Al Sharpton, who's featured in this, he said that was the year that Negro died and black was born. And they were just being fueled by this music into a new consciousness. And so not only does, does uh, Thompson, Questlove, weave in these musical sequences so well, but it's, how, it's the context that he puts them in with the time, the place, and the population of how he, he catches up to people that were there as young men and women, and in one case as a very young boy, catches up to them now to talk about their, their recollections of getting in to, to be part of the crowd, what they had to do, lie to their parents, <laughs> you know, how their lives were changed by it. And, and looking back now, and it's, it's just so poignant and thrilling and, and sad, yes, because so much of the social struggle, the civil rights struggle, is still, it's just sadly identical. Yeah. And that's, that's the real sad part about it. But yet, as much as that is going on, it never takes away from the joy of these concerts, and it's just fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Well, what you get to see on stage, what you get to see. Oh, you know, my uh, Lord. Oh, my God. People singing together yeah. that you would never expect to see. You've got, you've got Stevie a, Wonder doing a drum solo. Yeah, I mean, the people, coolest stuff. People forgot he was a great drummer. His drum solo is insane. You've got uh, a young Mavis Staples on the same microphone with an aging Mahalia Jackson. It's amazing. She's, she's only a couple of way, a couple of years away from dying, but still sounds great. Of course, she was Mavis Staples' hero. They're sharing a microphone. S Sly Stone just blowing the crowd away with with his uh, psychedelia, and it's it, the, the movie gives you goosebumps. It, it really does. does. It really does. The music is so great, and you get to see things like. Like the Fifth Dimension, and people forget about the Fifth Dimension. You know, they had their pop hits. It shows you Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. watching their own footage of themselves and remembering with a tear in her eye how it was so important to them, who had been criticized by some at the time for sounding too white, 
it was so important to them to be accepted by their black community as being, quote-unquote, black enough. And she was tearing up just thinking about it. It's just, it's moving, it's thrilling. I loved it so much, and I cannot, we, we can't recommend this enough. It's the choice this week for sure. It's in theaters and on Hulu. Yeah. But I do recommend it in the theaters if you uh, have one in your area showing it. Summer of Soul. Don't miss it. What about Shudder this week? We love us some Shudder. This is a Joel, a caustic 1980s film critic. What? For a national horror magazine who finds himself unwittingly trapped in a self-help group for serial killers. With no other choice, Joel attempts to blend in or risk becoming the next victim. This is vicious fun. Thanks so much for coming out. How do you maintain your lifestyle and keep your urges under control? What is this, some kind of support group for serial killers? Are you a uh, skinner, a slicer, dicer, or a... Uh... Corpse Humper? How did you get in here? I got, I got drunk at the bar. I passed out in a closet for a few hours, okay? 911. Yes. Oh my god, it's horrible. Now, Bonnie told me that people are coming here to try and kill him. And maybe us. What? Us? Why? <laughs> Gentlemen, we are about to have a lot of fun tonight. This is fun. And not too long ago, a couple of months ago, we talked about a movie called The Oak Room by the same writer-director, Cody Callahan. And what's interesting, I think, about these two movies coming out so close together is how completely different they are. Because The Oak Room was uh, kind of a... You know, a hillbilly noir, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is definitely not. This is very 1980s, very, very. So you love that. I do love that. (laughs) And and Joel, and it's it's just, the whole movie is just a winking, smarmy embrace of 1980s horror, you know, and horror in general. And, uh, and the fact that he's a, he's a, He's not just a film critic. He's a horror journalist, he refers to himself in his pretentious, <laughs> losery way. He's played by Evan Marsh. He's got a massive crush on his, on his roommate, on, and she doesn't, she doesn't feel the same way. And friend so he's, if she, he's very much in the friend zone. And so he drowns his sorrows one night, passes out in the uh, like closet, like the broom closet. And when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he kind of interrupts this 12-step meeting for serial killers, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And the people that they have in this group, I mean, they're Shudder favorites that you'll remember from other stuff. And it's not they're not just your run-of-the-mill serial killers. They basically are very specific types of 80s horror staple murderer types, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like your Jason Voorhees types and things like that. So funny, so, so funny, so clever. The performances are great. It's a really enjoyable, if somewhat slight movie. A lot of fun. David Koechner sighting. Oh, yes. And he's... Whammy. He's very David Koechner. And, and what that, isn't that fun? That huge guy, Robert <laughs> Robert Millay yeah. from uh, Becky. Yeah. God, that guy's big. You know, he's massive. He's <laughs> so big in especially this. Especially in a room with normal-sized yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is another fun one. Uh, again, the Shutter's been, uh, been doing some good stuff, rolling out some really nice originals lately. And just like the title, it's Vicious Fun, now on Shudder. Got another documentary next. Carlos de Luna was arrested in 1993 at age 21 for the murder of Wanda Lopez and protested his innocence until his execution, declaring that it was another Carlos who committed the crime. This is all about that story. It's The Phantom. Don't care if you're Mexican and you have no money, you're going to die. I asked him, who is Carlos Hernandez? He said, you know who Carlos Hernandez is. There's not always two sides to a story. Sometimes there's three, four, or five. The evidence didn't match the state's theory. None of it makes sense. Carlos Hernandez was a police informant. The police denied that he even existed. He was telling everybody that he did it. For some reason, they released him. It made me question everything about the death penalty. 
one day that the truth will come out. Brandon Thomas reviewed this true crime documentary for us uh, at MadWolf.com, and he loved it. You know, he said that uh, even if, if you're a fan of true crime, you're going to like it. But one of the things that he thought was particularly compelling about this movie, aside from just being a fascinating story, is that it's also, you know, kind of subtly a, a look at how inefficient and morally wrong capital punishment is. Right, right. And it's one of those movies where, a true life movie, true crime movie, where we know the outcome going in. So in a lot of ways, it's doubly difficult to make that effective when we already know a big part of how it's going to turn out. But because the story has so many twists and because they do have that underlying message, it makes it, 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 makes it an effective storytelling device, even when you know sadly how it turned out for this yeah man. yeah it's it's just a really well-made doc yeah and if you want to check out the full review from brandon thomas and again he did love it and i recommend you check it out you can do that at madwolf.com it's the phantom and it is in theaters now and we'll wrap it up with a thriller an organ transplant committee has one hour to decide which of three patients deserves a life-saving heart seven years later the committee members struggle with the consequences of that fateful decision this is the god committee I spent 10 years of my life on this committee. Suddenly there's money in the equation. We've got this guy looking over our shoulder. Trying to figure out what a day of life is worth. It's always been about maximizing assets. Unfortunately, the assets happen to be human organs. You haven't disclosed everything. You're lying about your health. You need to name a successor. It's blood money. Let the committee decide that. We take it and we put it to work. They have to cut another deal to keep this quiet. Dr. Taylor, you're the decider. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and it stars Kelsey Grammer as the, the, the doctor who is in charge of this committee. And Julia Stiles is another member of the committee, and they kind of... Te- they and kind she's of- brand new. Yes, she's brand new to the committee. So he's all logic, and she's all heart. And so that's really how the film looks at this kind of profoundly important decision-making process. In a lot of ways, the fact that they jump back and forth in time is a problem mm-hmm. uh, because the the one era moves much more slowly and the other moves much more quickly. And so each one kind of, when you, when you weave back and forth, it kind of throws off the tempo of the whole film. And it's based on a play, uh, but it's written for the screen and directed by Austin Stark. And I think it's got some good ideas, uh, uh, good themes that it wants to explore. But uh, moving it from stage to screen maybe doesn't translate as well. And you can check out Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com. And this one is in select theaters and also, I believe, available on VOD. Correct. Uh, and it is The God Committee. Hey, with that, look who's back. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Jumping back into the lobby, it's a tanned, rested, and ready schlocketeer back from vacation. And I'm, I'm sure since you had the week off, we're just loaded down with new tidbits. I do have a lot for you. <laughs> Amazon's going to premiere the Kate Beckinsale starring action flick Jolt on Prime come July 23rd. Rubber and deerskin filmmaker, I'm going to butcher this, Quentin. Depew. Depew. There you go. <laughs> but his latest wacky genre-bending comedy, Mandibles 
is hitting theaters on July 23rd as well. I always want to see whatever he's doing. It's something about a trained giant fly. Beyond okay. that, I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> There's a Dutch road rage thriller called Tailgate hitting theaters on VOD on July 30th. Amazon's Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard starring musical Annette. Uh, I believe that's from the director of Holy Motors. Oh, yeah. That's hitting theaters on August and then I think a couple weeks later it'll end up on Prime. Yeah, it's from the director of Holy Motors, and, and the story and the music is by Sparks, who are having a summer. Oh, well, that's interesting. I yeah. didn't know that. There's a festival favorite Udo Kier drama called Swan Song that is going to arrive before our eyes next month. It hits theaters on August 6th, and then VOD a week later on the I 15th. can't wait for that one! <laughs> <laughs> Open Road is unleashing Joe Carnahan's latest action movie, Cop Shop, in theaters on September 17th. That one stars Frank Grillo and Gerard Butler, so you get double the testosterone (laughs) on that one. Can one film contain them both? (laughs) We'll find out. (laughs) Sony delayed the release of Hotel Transylvania 4 from late July to the more seasonally appropriate October 1st. I thought you were going to say they delayed it just as a favor to us all. (laughs) Well, I don't think we're that lucky. (laughs) Um, Warner Brothers has done a lot of shifting around as well. Basically, they had three movies that all swapped dates this fall. Um, Clint Eastwood's Cry Macho has been moved up to September 17th, which has moved the Sopranos prequel film The Many Saints of Newark back to October 1st, which in turn moved Dune back to October 22nd. Wow. We're basically just playing musical chairs. Yeah, from, from the one I least want to see to the one I most want to see, they just put them in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> There's also been another delay. Uh, Universal pushed their, back the release date of Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho again, but only by a week. Uh, no! October 29th. <laughs> yeah, that looks good. And speaking of Universal, they've set Sing 2 for December 22nd. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. And then Blumhouse has picked up the U.S. rights for Alexander Bustillo and Julian Marais' The Deep House. Uh, that'll come out next year as part of their deal with uh, premium cable channel FX. I know we had talked about that previously. Of course, that's on top of their new film, Candisha, which hits Shutter later this month. So they've been pretty busy of late. Hopefully, it's both of them are more of a creative rebound for them after uh, 2017's Leatherface. I wasn't really mm, into that one. Right. And that's all I've got for you. All right, man. Well, welcome back. <laughs> Glad to be back. Glad to have you. And uh, we'll check in next week. You can always check in with Daniel at the Schlocketeer. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Boy, right now, looking ahead to next week, it looks a little light. We've got one big one that we've already seen, hint, hint, Black Widow, that we'll talk about next week. And just one more. Yeah, rock, paper, scissors. Although, as you always say, there are going to be more. Yeah, there'll, just be, are. there'll be things pop up. But actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about Black Widow. Me too. There's some things to uh, discuss there. But no spoilers. No spoilers ever. So that's next week. But, uh, boy, some good ones this week. So what do you think? What do you want to see? What have you seen? Keep the conversation going. We always love that. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website that we've mentioned where you can find all of our written reviews and uh, all the written reviews from everyone on Team Mad Wolf, the Mad Wolf Pack. That's right. You can find that all at madwolf.com, as well as our horror movie-only podcast uh, called Fright Club, which has a brand new episode out this week with a very special guest, especially if you're a fan of horror films. So a little tease there. You can check all of that out. 
at madwolf.com. So we hope to hear from you. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Enjoy. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>